Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is Abdul Nasser Jengda, and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. The Qalam Podcast has become an important part of people's lives all around the world. There are millions of people benefiting from the podcast every single day. Thousands of hours of content, dozens of different series from all the different teachers and scholars here at Qalam. All of this is delivered to the community free of charge. We are excited and actively working to grow and increase our efforts to deliver more and more benefit to the community. We ask you to support our efforts and become part of the Qalam family. Please go to qalamfamily.com and sign up to contribute to this Sadaqa Jariyah on a monthly basis. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us Jazakumullahu khairan wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah wa rahmatullahi wa sallamu alayhi wa sallamu Khususan ala sayyidi rasuli wa khatim al-anbiya wa ala alihi al-askiya wa ashabihi al-atqiya amma ba'd. We were studying the different teaching methods of Rasulullah and the first point that the author mentions is how Rasulullah was such an effective teacher because he led through example, through practice, through action. When a person came to Rasulullah asking a question, it was common for the Prophet to show the person the answer rather than just relying on saying the answer. So we covered the narration of Jabir in our previous class about a person that came and he um, spat in the mosque, he spat in the mosque while praying. And Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi saw that and then he physically showed the companions and made corrections. So today we continue with the same discussion, the second narration narrated by Imam Muslim Rahmatullahi Imam Tirmidhi, Imam Nasai, and Imam Ibn Majah um, inshallah, we'll start there today. Go ahead. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah, qala al-mu'allif rahimullah. Muslim, Tirmidhi, Nasai, and Ibn Majah rahimullah narrate from Sulaiman ibn Burayda, who reports from his father from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. A person asked him about the times of salah. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to him, Perform your salah with, the, with, uh, with us for these two days so that you may practically learn the times of salah. When the sun passed its zenith, Rasulullah ordered Bilal to call out the adhan. He then ordered him to say the iqama for the luhur salah later on. He said the iqama for the asr salah when the sun was quite high and clearly white. He then ordered him to say the iqama for maghrib salah when the sun had set. He then ordered him to say the iqama for the Isha Salah when, when the redness on the horizon had disappeared. He then ordered him to say the iqama for the Fajr Salah at the break of dawn. The following day, he performed the Duhur Salah when it was much cooler. Um, he delayed the Duhur Salah for much longer than the previous day. He performed the Asr Salah when the sun was slightly high and offered it much later than the previous day. He performed the Maghrib Salah just before the redness on the horizon could disappear. He performed the Isha Salah after one third of the night had passed, and, and the Fajr Salah when it was quite bright. 
So in the first day, Rasulullah performed all of the prayers in awwal al-wakt, right when time started. The second day, Nabi also prayed each salah in its time, but more towards the end. So for example, in, uh, in Fajr Salah, second day, Nabi delayed the Fajr Salah to the point where a person were to look outside and there was brightness there. Similarly, regarding Maghrib Salah, Nabi he prayed uh, Maghrib Salah before the time of Aisha started, giving this person a physical demonstration of the timings of Salah, that this is the earlier time, this is the later time for you to pray. Yes. Rasulullah then said, Where is the person who had asked about the times of Salah? The man replied, Here I am, O Rasulullah. Rasulullah said, These times of your Salah is between what you saw. Yes. What you saw in praying, this is the middle time for you, you can pray your Salah. The time in between, the duration, you can pray your Salah. Go ahead. In his commentary of Sahih Muslim, Imam, Imam Nawawi rahimahullah said, This hadith teaches us to explain something practically because greater clarity can be achieved thereby. A practical explanation facilitates understanding for both the questioner and those who are present as well. We also learn that an explanation should be delayed and given at the time when it is needed. This is the method of the majority of scholars. Hadith number 19. Abu Dawood Nasa'i and Ibn Majah narrate a hadith from Amr ibn Shu'ayb, from his father, from his grandfather, that a man came to Rasulullah and said, O Rasulullah, how should I perform my ablution? Rasulullah asked for water in a container. He then washed his palms three times, his face three times, and his arms three times. Specifically when you're teaching the lesson that has a lot of details to it, like Salah time. There are so many points there to mention, beginning time, end time, shafaq of his, Ghurub this, Tulur this, and Zawal this, and Mithil Awal, Mithil Thani. You know, there's so much language there involved that it can become overwhelming. So rather than just sharing the words, Rasulullah physically laid it out. Right? Now, when it comes to Wudu, again, for a person who's uh, observing for a first time or maybe still is new at this, the whole, uh, the whole procedure can be a little overwhelming. That wash your right hand, rinse your mouth three times, your nose three times, your face three times, right arm, left arm, wipe over your whole head, do your ears, and then do your fingers and beard, and then do your feet, and this one and that one. So for these when for these actions, when Rasulullah is teaching them, he teaches them through amal. So you see here, he says, For Inside his ears, Nabi Sallallahu wiped inside his ears. He used his thumb to clean the back part, outer part of his ear. Um, and so you can see now Nabi Sallallahu is showing it practically through his action. And the one who came to ask uh, doesn't have to remember a lot of content in a list form, but are able to see the practice of Rasulullah Sallallahu Yes. He sallallahu then washed his feet three times each. After this, he sallallahu said, this is how ablution is performed. If anyone does any more or any less than this, he has sinned and done wrong. Or, uh, sallallahu said, he has done wrong in sin. Yeah. You know, if a person does wudu more or less than this, this isn't necessarily talking about 
the number of times you wash your limb because Rasulullah in one narration, um, Sheikh Mansur Nawani is Ma'arif al-Hadith, he brings the narrations and also Sahih al-Mishkat in the Mishkat al-Masabih. When bringing the narrations regarding washing the limbs, he brings all three of them one after the other. In one riwayah, uh, Nabi Sallallahu washed each limb one time. In the second riwayah, immediately after. Second riwayah, he brings Maratim Maratim. Rasulullah Sallallahu washed each limb two times. And then the riwayah, right after that, the narration, right after it, the author, um, then Nabi Sallallahu washed each limb three times. So it's not so much of a number factor here. Rather, it's about istiab. It's about that making sure you wash the limb. If a person does wudu and does not wash these limbs, they have done wrong. In this riwayah, Rasulullah in addition to the fara'id, the obligatory acts, also listed out these sunan. So therefore, we're learning sunnah. That person has wronged himself. Why? Because he abandoned the sunnah. That when you do wudu, you should follow the full sunnah procedure. Bear in mind that you're doing wudu to worship Allah. So why would a person cut corners on the way to worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Now, sometimes a person is in a rush, they need to quickly do wudu, they're running late or something like that. Then remember that other riwayah of Rasulullah that you wash it one time. Our mashayikh will tell us that when you do wudu at the masjid, because the water being used there is waqf, it's by the donation of the ummah, you should only wash each limb one time, he would say. Right? So you don't waste water um, for the that's that's basically being purchased or paid for by the ummah as well. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us um, such understanding as well. Go ahead. Bukhari narrates on the authority of Mu'ad ibn Abdul Rahman, who says that Ibn Aban informed him, saying, I brought the ablution water to Uthman ibn Affan while he was sitting on a seat. This is one of the most common narrations in the chapter of Wudu. That Kayfiyat al Wudu, they, they, they reference the, the narration of Uthman ibn Affan. Almost all the scholars reference this hadith, it's Bukhari narration, because when Uthman was given water for wudu, uh, he did wudu, and then after doing his wudu, he said at the end of it, that the wudu I just did was the wudu that I saw in Rasulullah. So he learned it through observation, and when it comes time for him to teach wudu, he also teaches it by performing that wudu, giving his students an opportunity to observe just as he had when he learned with Rasulullah. Yes. He performed his ablution in a beautiful manner and said, I saw Rasulullah performing his ablution while sitting in this very place. He, he performed his ablution in a beautiful manner and then said, Whoever performs ablution in this manner comes to the masjid, offers to Rakaat Salah without occupying himself in any worldly affairs, and then sits down, then all his, all his past sins are, sins are forgiven. Rasulullah added, do not be Yes, yes. Hafiz ibn Hajar uh, Allah, said that this hadith shows that teaching by example is always more effective for the student. The words of Rasulullah do not be deluded mean that one should not consider the forgiveness of past sins as inclusive of all sins, because one will then become lax in abstaining from sins and begin relying on their forgiveness through salah. The ulama agree that when the ahadith mention that by doing a particular good deed, your sins are forgiven, 
these sins are referring to the Sagha'ir, not the Kabai. Minor sins, not the major. Major sins are forgiven through Tawbah. And the truth is that there's nothing easier to do than Tawbah. You don't have to even do anything. You don't need to go somewhere. You don't need to say a particular statement. It's a, it's a kafi as a statement that a person enters into a absolute remorse and they have you know, a sense of apology that in that moment their tawbah is presented to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes. The reason why one should not become lax is that the salah, is that the salah which is an expiation of sins is one which is accepted by Allah ta'ala. And one does not know whether his salah is accepted or not. So the first thing is, Rasulullah is saying that in the salat alati to kafir this is in Hajar statement, that the salah that actually expiates sins is the accepted salah. Now, who here can say confidently that my salah was accepted? Point number one. In the salat alati to kafir Nobody knows if their salah is even accepted or not. Inshallah it is. We should have high hopes in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But we can't speak confidently. And then, Then after that, the second point you need to keep in mind is the sins that are expiated, the sins that are forgiven, um, they are the minor sins. We are not speaking of major sins and neither are we talking about violations against other human beings. That still is outstanding. Yes, go ahead. Should also be borne in mind that the sins which are forgiven through salah are only the minor ones. Forgiveness does not include major sins or those that are associated with the rights of fellow human beings. On one occasion, Rasulullah led the people in salah while he was on the pulpit so that all of them could see and learn by observing his actions. Bukhari and Muslim narrate on the authority of Sahib Nusayyid. On the pulpit, on the mimbah, a little higher. So not everyone that's sitting on the ground level and look upwards and see how Rasulullah is performing his salah. Nabi did the whole salah there, naturally if you're standing on the mimbun, how are you going to do sajda? Right? So the riwayah at the end says, ثُمَّ رَجَعَ الْقَحْقَرَ لِيَسْجُدَ عَنْ So Nabi Wasallam he prayed salah on the mimbun while standing, bowed down and everything. But when it came time for sajda, رَجَعَ الْقَحْقَرَ He moved back a little bit. Stepped off of the mimbun, did sajda on the ground. And then the rest of it they saw on the mimbar, showing people how to pray salah. Very effective for salah as well. Like in wudu, we were saying, teaching through actions. Salah as well, observation. That you learn by seeing other people pray salah. Yes. Bukhari Muslim narrate on the authority of Sayyidina Musaf al-Sa'i, who said, I saw Rasulullah standing on the pulpit. He faced the qibla and said, Allahu Akbar. The people stood behind him. Then recited a portion of the Quran and went into the fort. The people behind him also went into the fort. He raised his head and walked back a little without turning around. He then prostrated onto the ground. Thereafter, he returned to the pulpit, recited a portion of the Quran, and went into the fort. He raised his head and walked back a little and then prostrated onto the ground. When he completed his salah, he turned to the people and said, O people, I did this so that you may follow me and you may learn my method of offering salah. Yeah. The reason why I prayed on the mimbar instead of praying where he would normally pray in the mihrab, um, where 
for, for the Prophet left from. The reason why I prayed here was so that everyone can see me so you can learn. Go ahead. In his commentary of Sahih Muslim, Imam Nawawi said, Rasulullah explained to them that his ascending that, that his ascending the pulpit and offering salah on it was solely to enable them to observe and learn all his movements. If he had stood on the ground, only those who were close to him would have seen him. Hafiz ibn Hajar writes, We learn from Rasulullah's words, O people, I did this so that you may follow me and you may learn my method of offering salah. That the wisdom of, of offering his salah at the top of the pulpit was that those who would not have been able to see, to see him offering his salah on the ground could see him. We learn from this incident that if a person does something does something unusual, example offering salah on the pulpit, as in this incident, he should explain his action to a, to his associates and followers. People are going to assume what you're doing is permissible, specifically if you're a leader. That you know the imam is doing this because that's what the Sharia says. But if you're going to do something out of line, as a community leader, as a teacher, specifically as a qudwa, then you you should clarify. That in this moment, what I did is not the norm, but I did it this way because of X, Y, and Z. Explain yourself. You shouldn't always assume that everyone knows what's going on in your heart and in your mind. If you do something wrong, publicly, you should clarify. Either admit that it was wrong, or tell people that this is not the Sharia. Rather, the Sharia ruling exists, the legal ruling exists, but this particular act of mine was in this context. So Ibn Hajar Masqalani ta'ala says, وَيُسْتَفَادُ مِنْهُ أَنَّ مَنْ فَعَلَ شَيْئًا يُخَالِفُ الْعَادَةً يَنْبَغِي أَنْ يُبَيِّنَ حِكْمَتَهُ لِأَصْحَابِهِ You clarify and tell people why you did what you did. وَفِيهِ جَوَازُ تَعْلِيمِ الْمَأْمُومِينَ أَفْعَلَ الصَّلَاةِ بِالْفِعْلِ وَجَوَازُ الْعَمَلِ الْيَسِيرِ فِي الصَّلَاةِ Similarly, we learn from this that in salah it is permissible to have minor movements. Nabi Sallallahu had to take a step back to do such long the earth. Sometimes you're in prayer, you have to move a little to the left, a little to the right. Maybe you have to itch yourself, minor movements, soft movements, nothing too aggressive. These things are all jayas and so on. Yes. The following lessons are derived from this incident. It is permissible to practically teach the congregation the different postures of salah. Slight or minor movements are permissible in salah, and major movements in salah are also permissible if done separately. Example, walking backwards. It is preferable for a person to use the pulpit to demonstrate any movement because it is easier for others to perceive his actions and to hear his words. Abu Dawud ibn Majah narrated on the authority of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu anhu that Rasulullah sallallahu passed a boy who was skinning a sheep. Yeah, in this riwayah, Imam ibn Majah narrates it in his Kitab al-Dabayah, the chapter on sacrifice and slaughtering, under the uh, subchapter of uh, skinning an animal. On the other hand, Imam Abu Dawud narrates it in the chapter of um, wudu, whether your wudu is affected or not if a person touches some meat by physically making contact with meat, is your wudu, is your wudu uh, affected or not? So, this narration from Abu Sayyid al Khudi, he says that Rasulullah passed by a young man who was skinning an animal. Uh, why don't you step aside? Let me show you how it's done. Let me show you how to skin an animal. Rasulullah took his hand and put it between the skin and the, and the meat. You know how they do that to create space, to create separation. Put his hand, push his hand in all the way, 
until Nabi Sallallahu arm disappeared right until the armpit, all the way inside, creating the space and separating the skin um, from the from the meat. Yes. He then said, oh boy, this is how you should skin an animal. Rasulullah Sallallahu then continued on his way and led the people in Salah with the, without performing ablution. Yes. So that, that's the hukum. The masala there is after that was done, Rasulullah then went and he went and led the people in prayer and did not do wudu. So the hukum is on one side, the legal, the ruling is on one side, but the reason why the author mentions this incident is because Nabi taught this young man this practice through his action. But this is the way you do it. Go ahead. Teaching aspects of the sharia and stages. Rasulullah Under this narration, uh, I won't go into it because we're, we uh, are limited in time and we have so much to cover. Shaykh Abdul Fattah actually shares a beautiful poem. It's an Arabic poem. Because the riwayah mentioned the word Fadahasa biha. Dahasa. So Nabi I told you guys a few moments ago, what does the word Dahasa mean? Push your arm in between uh, flesh. You call that dahasa. So after mentioning that word dahasa, he then says, um, the author says, well, yeah, that because the word dahasa was mentioned, there's a poem that I read that's very beautiful in meaning, so uh, I wanted to share it. I'll read it for you guys. For those of you who are more interested, you can um, read the commentary on it. He has a few footnotes on the poem. It's beautiful. He says, Adhan means people who have animosity and hatred in their heart. Socialize, live with. Naqad is a, a um, um, in our language, say, a, a, a worn out slipper or shoe. You know, a shoe that's all worn out and it's gone very you know, weak and it's stitches, stitching is coming off and the leather is all torn up. This is naqad. Al-khuf al-khalaq. Al-khuf, footwear. Khalaq is something that's, um, again, worn out. So he says, فَقَدْ When you have a worn out shoe, you can just leave it there, or you can take it to a cobbler, and the cobbler can work on the work on it, and, and mend it, and, and fix the leather, and polish it down. So similarly, these people who have hatred in their heart, and they're rough people, you can either abandon them, like a worn shoe, you can just leave it there, and it'll get thrown away, and that's gone. No value in there, or you can go to work on it. Or you can you can go to work on it. You can try to give it some attention. So he says, Okay, go ahead, continue. Teaching aspects of Sharia and stages. So the first thing was Rasulullah teaching through his own practical actions, 
Point number two, the second important teaching methodology of Rasulullah Sallallahu That Rasulullah Sallallahu would teach incrementally, piece by piece, not giving it all at once. You have to piecemeal it. Someone comes to you and they say, I want to learn algebra, buddy, before we go to algebra, how about we study a few basic things? Let's start with some point one, point two, point three, before we go into something more sophisticated. Not that algebra is sophisticated, but you guys understand. Like for a third grader, algebra would be sophisticated. There's a third, you know, a six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old kid who heard something uh, about math, and maybe someone referenced algebra, he comes to class and says, I want to learn algebra. So the sheikh will most likely say, slow down. Why don't you slow down a little bit? Let's get some basics, let's get addition out of the way. Let's get basic fractions out of the way before we go ahead. So bit tadrij that Rasulullah would teach things incrementally. The student wants it all at once. The nature of all students. Rasulullah said, That the hunger of a student can't be satisfied. They want it. And to be honest, it's not something blameworthy, is it? Their greed is for something good, so they want to learn it all at once. But the teacher's responsibility is to not teach it all at once. Look, we can have this level of a conversation today, but there's a second part of this conversation that we can't have today. I just need you to trust me. We'll talk about this later, inshallah. So everything uh, in its own place and time. Tadaruj. Go ahead. Rasulullah used a gradual approach in teaching. He would present the most important aspects first, and then the lesson. So in our Muslim community, People like knowing about, you know, the latest hot debate that's going on on ulum al-hadith. Two shiyukh writing rebuttals on another. No one knows how to do wudu, no one knows how to do istinja, they don't know basic things and they want to learn about what? Like, tell me what's Saudi Arabia? What's the latest on whether Sahih al-Bukhari is authentic or not? Jahil people. This is khilafat al and this is why you need mentors in life. That when you ask them a question like, you know, Sheikh, can you explain the Sanad of Sahih Muslim? And you haven't heard Qadar Quraniya, they'll slap you on your head. That why don't you take a little break, go do some Abada, and then come back later on, and we'll talk about what's next. Tadarush, Tadrij, everything. Rasulullah will teach what's important. And then after that, what's important? I asked <laughs> one of my teachers. Mufti Shabir Saab, I love for along his life once. We were sitting in class. I said, Hazrat, what is Ibn al-Arabi? You know, scholar, but there's some controversy around. So I said, what's your opinion regarding Ibn al-Arabi? So he said, Mutara sayni karta, Ibn al-Arabi kamara pushta. You don't do your mutara properly, you don't study properly. I remember that day in my life. I really remember that day. He said, you don't do your mutara properly, you don't study your work properly, you're, you're Preparation is half done, and you're talking about Ibn Arabi. He said, focus on this right now. Similarly, one person came to Manat Hanbi and he asked him, who was right, Ali radiallahu anh or Mu'awwah radiallahu anh? Who was correct? There was a dispute between the two companions. Who was more correct, Ali radiallahu anh or Mu'awwah radiallahu anh? Hanbi rahimahullah ta'ala said to him that if Allah asks you this question on the Day of Judgment, you will let you blame me. Just point your finger at me that this guy, he held, he held back from me. In the meantime, go focus on other things in life. Go buy your wife a present. You know, he didn't say those exact words, but you guys understand. You know, go do something with your life instead of engaging in these 
fruitless discussions. Now, there is a place and time for these conversations, by the way. For ulama, there are specialists there. These discussions can and should occur. But, yes, go ahead. Isolasana used to teach a little at a time so that whatever he taught could easily be absorbed and more effectively memorized and understood. Ibn Majah narrates on the authority of Jundab ibn Abdullah who said, We were with Rasulullah, a group of youth close to the age of maturity. So they were close to maturity. Go ahead. We learned what Iman was before we could learn the Quran. So the first thing that we saw someone taught them was what? Iman. They get to know you're Allah first. Just like in Makki revelation, pre-Hijrah revelation, you read those ayat, most of them are about what? Iman. Develop the Iman of the reader. Yes. In this way, we increase our Iman. So, ta'allamana al-Imana qabla anna ta'allam al-Qur'ana, thumma ta'allamana al-Qur'an, fazdadna bihi Iman. He taught us Iman first, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and then taught us Qur'an. So now that we were learning the Qur'an, it impacted the Iman. Amen, our Iman even stronger. La ilaha Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Yes. If you don't teach your children the importance of gratitude to Allah, or loving Allah, and jump straight ahead and teach them Salah, it'll be a burden on them. So at first you build their Iman, a meaningful relationship with Allah. And now teach them salah, that salah will increase in the first day. One thing at a time. Al-Ahamu al Yes. Bukhari and Muslim narrate on the authority of Ibn Abbas who said, Rasulullah sent Mu'ad to Yemen. When dispatching him, he advised him, you will meet some people of the book. Uh, you should invite them towards being a bearing testimony that there is none worthy of the First thing, Fadu'uhum ila shahadati Allah ila when you go to Yemen and you invite people to Islam, teach them the shahada first. And after that's done, then you teach them the other things. Maybe Sallallahu said, teach them the, the lesson of zakat first. So when they do give you their sadaqah and zakat, Rasulullah is saying, don't take the best of their wealth. Take what's moderate. If you take so if they had to give three horses and you take the best one, the most expensive one, they're not going to like you and they're going to avoid giving zakat in the future. Don't take the best of their wealth. Rasulullah said, be mindful of the prayer of the one that is oppressed, for there is no barrier between his prayer and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Next narration. Imam Ahmad rahimahullah narrates on the authority of Muhammad ibn from Abba on the authority of Abu Abdul Rahman, who said, one of the Sahaba of Rasulullah who used to teach us, narrated to us that Rasulullah used to teach them 10 verses. They would not learn the next 10 verses until they had learned the, uh, the first 10 and what they could practice upon. So 10 verses out of that. And not just memorizing 10 verses. That what is the knowledge that needs to go that is paired with these ten verses? What are these ten verses saying? What is the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying to you in these verses? And what amal? That what actions can you derive from these verses? Which means the hifth process is surely prolonged, but it becomes meaningful. 
May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq. Yes. Tabari narrates on the authority of Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu who said, when any of us learned 10 verses, he would not proceed until he had learned their meaning and how to put them into practice. Exercising moderation and preventing boredom. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam used to take into consideration the times and circumstances of his sahaba when advising and teaching them so that they would not get bored. In doing this, he sallallahu alayhi wasallam would They would not get bored. That's the important thing here. So pacing yourself. On one side, you know, tadrij, you're you're taking you're you're spreading out the knowledge so that they can digest the information. But the second thing here is that don't overdo it as well because you may bore them. They'll get exhausted, they'll get tired. You can take the most beautiful dish in the world. Someone has like biryani, makhluba, or pizza, whatever it is that you like a lot. You have it every day, or if you have it too frequently, what happens? You don't like, you don't enjoy it anymore, no matter how delicious it is. It's not that the food lost its flavor, it's that you were overexposed. So the same thing with ilm, that you have to be mindful. Right? So Nabi maintained moderacy when educating his companions. Now he narrates the riwayat. The first riwayat is from Bukhari rahimahullah ta'ala in the kitab al-ilm. Right? So Imam Bukhari rahimahullah ta'ala establishes the chapter. The chapter is that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would sometimes um, space out his teaching. Give them breaks from teaching, from giving advice. So they wouldn't be exhausted. So they wouldn't, you know, detest the knowledge they were learning. So under that chapter, he narrates, and Imam Muslim Rahmatullahi also narrates a similar riwayah in his Sahih. Under the chapter, the chapter on being moderate when advising, not overdoing it, not underdoing it. So this narration is narrated by both Bukhari and Muslim, and they have their own chapter headings. What's the narration from Shaqeed? Abu Wa'il, he says, we were sitting with Abdullah ibn Mas'ud outside of his home waiting for him. So Yazid bin Mu'awiyah came out of Ibn Mas'ud house and he was passing by. We said, go tell Ibn Mas'ud that we're sitting by his doorstep so he can come and teach us. A group of them were waiting. Shortly after, Ibn Mas'ud came out of the home. Um, I was told that you were sitting outside in the snow that the only reason I didn't come out to teach you is because I'm worried that I, you will get exhausted. You'll get tired, not too frequently. Nabi did the same with us. That he would allow us to space it out. Anything. You overdo it, you get exhausted. The Arabic poet talks about friendship. He says to his friend, I want you to move far away from me so we can fall in love even deeper. So we can get closer to one another. Right? The same goes with relationships. It's good to be close to relatives, but not too close. It's good to have a little gap, a little space. So you can infrequently visit, maintaining adab, maintaining etiquette, always being considerate of one another. When you're with people all the time, no matter how dear or loving they are, they will cross the boundaries of adab. 
It's just the, na the nature of life, right? Unless they're really good human beings. And in that case, the relationship sours. So that's that riwayah. The second narration, he narrates from Imam Bukhari He says Imam Bukhari narrates it in his Kitab al-Ilm, under the chapter of Man ja'ala li ahli al-ilmi ayyaman ma'lumah That you dedicate days for education. That's the, that's the chapter heading that Imam Bukhari has. And he also narrates from Imam Muslim. It's a similar narration of Ibn Mas'ud but the wording is a little different. كان عبد الله يذكر الناس في كل خميس that uh, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud would give these public advices and lectures to the companions every Thursday. فقالوا له رجل يا أبا عبد الرحمن هذه كنية عبد الله إننا نحب حديثك ونشتهيه لوددنا أنك حدثنا كل يوم. So one person said, instead of lecturing us every Thursday, how about you start giving your dust every day? لوددنا أنك حدثنا كل يوم. We would like to study from you every day. And then the rest of the riwayah is the same. But the reason why you don't do this is because it will exhaust you. So when teaching as well, you have to see the appetite of the student. Some students are such that, some subjects, and you know, it's, it's different because some subjects are such that you need to teach them every day for them to settle in. You can't skip around with them, right? The more frequently you teach them, it solidifies in the mind. But then there are some people and some subjects that are such that you have to space them out. It goes back to the, um, the, the teacher paying, paying close attention to the student and knowing at what point they're benefiting and when that has stopped. The next narration, we'll do two more and then we'll close off. The next narration is also narrated by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim rahmatullahi alayhi. Um, Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi alayhi narrates it in his Kitab al-Ilm. And Imam Muslim Rahmatullahi narrates it in his Kitab al Jihad. And Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu, and the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, wa la tu'asiru, bashiru, wa la tu'afiru. Yasiru, wa la tu'asiru. But make ease for people. Don't make, it, don't make it difficult on people. Instead of giving, like, some people, they can sit down, they give dars, and they give four hour long lectures, three hour long lectures. I've seen this in the masjid. One hour, two hour long lectures. It's unnecessary, in most cases. You should be able to complete your subject matter within a half an hour, 30, 40 minutes, that's it. After one hour, what's happening? The speaker is sleeping, the audience is sleeping. No one's paying attention anymore. So, yes, you take it easy. Don't make things hard. Give people glad tidings. Don't cause hatred. Don't turn them against one another. And the similar, the last narration for today is also from Imam Muslim narrated by Abu Musa al-Ashari radiallahu anhu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ila ba'atha ahadan min ashabihi fi ba'di amrihi qala bashiru wa la tunafidu yassiru wa la tunasiru then when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would send a sahabi as a representative somewhere, as a delegation somewhere he would say to them, make things easy on people, don't make it hard right? every time you make something hard, people will turn away so from this particular point, this teaching method of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam what we're learning is Pace yourself. Keep an eye on the student. You might be excited at this teacher. When students from, you know, who have studied with us in the past, Sheikh, I'm going back to my community and I'm going to start giving a weekly dust. The people in the community have asked me, so I'm going to start teaching Shara Laqaid. For those of you who didn't get it, it's advanced book. You tell the buddy, hey, take a break on Shara Laqaid and why don't we start with Sira? Tafsir of the last few surahs, maybe the Kaptira class, basic Tazkiyah class, start, start easy. 
The students, because they have nerves, they're like, you know what, I'm going to do dars every day for three hours. Baba, nobody's going to come. They won't benefit from you. How about you do 20 minutes a day? <coughs> that might be more effective. So slow down on your greed and your eagerness and think of how this is going to impact the students. This is the teaching of Rasulullah You're not teaching yourself, you're teaching the students. So when you're teaching them, you need to have them in mind. How are they going to benefit the most? This next uh, part of the next chapter is very beautiful. Inshallah, we'll cover it in our next class. The Ayatul Faruq al Fadiyah bin Mutalimin. How Nabi gave attention to individual students. How he took the individual into consideration when teaching, when answering questions. It's a very beautiful uh, chapter. If Allah wills and gives us life, we will cover this in our next class. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh.